Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Witham. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. We are so excited that you're here this week and I cannot wait to introduce to you our guests. But before we do that, I'm your co-host, Megan Rawlings, joined by my co-host... Kevin Witham, and it is so good to be back with you for another podcast with Common Grounds Unity. Our goal is to have conversations and dialogue with uh, leaders and influencers in the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement. And today, I'm enthused about the guests that are with us. Uh, they're a great couple uh, that have blessed our life and ministry out here on the West Coast. Many of the churches here when they were out this way, but they currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. It's Randy and Rhonda Lowry. Randy serves as the president at Lipscomb University. He started there in September of 2005, and remarkable things have happened at Lipscomb over the course of his presidency. Uh, they implemented uh, Lipscomb 2010, which was a $54 million plan to dramatically advance Lipscomb's academic programs to invest in new campus facilities. As a result, uh, Lipscomb has a college of pharmacy, um, and Lipscomb established uh, over these years the first doctorate degree there. Uh, also, 38 new undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral programs have been developed, and six new institutes, including uh, one in conflict management. And I'll point that one out because prior to uh, going to lead Lipscomb University, Dr. Lowry was at Pepperdine University, where in 1974 he founded and was the director of the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution. Uh, as, a, uh, as a professor of law, uh, he also uh, instituted this particular program at Pepperdine that brought conflict resolution principles, training, and skills, both at the corporate level, the government level. I, I believe uh, he had a, a gubernatorial appointment out here to help the state of California uh, in conflict resolution. And then at the congregational level, the very principles that were applied in these other settings you know, were brought into the life of the church and blessed many churches going through conflict. Uh, including one that I was a part of at one point where there was some good ministry offered. Rhonda has been a great partner uh, to Randy, and uh, she herself has a very distinguished uh, career and ministry. She started out as a sixth grade teacher, went on to serve at a, as a faculty member at Fuller Theological Seminary, where I believe she uh, earned her MDiv degree uh, after receiving a bachelor's degree at Pepperdine. Uh, and Rhonda uh, serves with the Institute for Spiritual Formation at Lipscomb University. And I think Lipscomb may be one of the 
uh, maybe the only university that I'm aware of in, in our streams that has an institute dedicated to spiritual formation. She's also been a noted speaker on a lot of programs uh, in different places, including uh, our university lectureships and other programs as well. So we are so thrilled to have both of you. That's a, that's a lengthy introduction, but glad to have the Lowry's with us. Thank you, Kevin. We are thrilled to be here and look forward to what God's going to do in this conversation. And it's good, Kevin, after so many years to talk to you again and Megan to meet you. Yes, I'm so thrilled to meet you guys. Kevin gave us a pretty good overview of who you are, but would you please just tell us a little bit about yourselves, like your life, ministry, and maybe a little bit of your spiritual journey? Rhonda, you want to go first? You go ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Do we need to apply some conflict resolution principles? (laughs) There we go. (laughs) I really am a coal miner's daughter in lots of ways. Um, I was born in Missouri. My dad came to faith very late in life, so my spiritual journey really was formed by my mother um, and my grandparents very, very early on. I'm the oldest of three children. What's interesting is that now at 67 years old, I am the only family member left in my family. So it's um, it's been kind of an interesting journey to be the oldest in my family and my among my siblings and then to be the one left i've i've had a blessed life i lived with mom and dad all of their lives um at least with them together randy and i were married we met at pepperdine and married at pepperdine and then took off we spent six years in minnesota six years in oregon and uh before we went back to pepperdine We had 19 years back at Pepperdine where Randy worked, as Kevin said, in the Institute. And I actually was privileged to go to seminary during that time and began teaching at the college level before coming to Lipscomb. I would say my spiritual journey has really been highlighted by two epiphanies, two clear callings in my life from God, but just um, twists and turns and eye-opening experiences, as well as periods of just God being silent and learning to trust and be still and know that he was God even in those moments. So it's, um, it, I feel very, very blessed, but it, uh, it, it's certainly been a life of uh, questions as well. Megan, are you still there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, let me share a little bit in in response. Uh, I grew up uh, in Southern California, a product of uh, Christian University, Pepperdine. Uh, We spent most of our lives in Christian education, about 20 years at Pepperdine, 16 years here at Lipscomb. Uh, Believe strongly in the value of uh, an education where students are able to ask uh, the most difficult questions in life but an education that prepares them with a sense of competence and a sense of character to go into the world. Uh, I came from a single mother family, I guess before that was cool or uh, uh, all that popular, but uh, grew up in a, in a church uh, that uh, loved us and that we were heavily involved in and certainly um, a forming uh, of us. Uh, it was the same church that Jeff Walling grew up in 
And uh, his dad was our minister for a part of that time. And uh, Jeff was a little boy in my life uh, at my babysitter's house, uh, who was his older sister. So uh, some commonality there in Southern California that connects us uh, together. And we never anticipated living in Nashville, Tennessee, but have absolutely loved uh, this moment where we can lead this institution of now almost 6,000 students. And uh, every day we uh, try to walk out what has to be done to deal with a very complex institution now, uh, but also recognize that um, it happens because God leads us and we seek to humble ourselves and see his leading every day. Megan, we would be remiss if we did not mention that we have three children and nine grandchildren. Oh, and wow. They are the pride of our life. We look forward to uh, the next chapter where we're going to get to spend more time with our nine grandchildren. Hmm. Where Are they in Tennessee with you? Uh, two of our children are here. Six of our grandchildren are here. Our middle daughter is in Charlotte, North Carolina, and okay. she has three boys that she's raising with her husband in North Carolina, in Charlotte. Oh, so wow. that, that is the best part of this transition. Boy, it sure is. <laughs> We've Randy, had I, all nine of our grandkids since Randy took this presidency, so they know him as nothing more than president granddad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Please tell get... me you had them call you that. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lowry. <laughs> Hardly. Well, uh, Randy, I did not know that you grew up, I take it, that at the Downey Church of Christ. No, I actually grew up in Redlands. Redlands. And, That's right. Uh, T.J. My... Walling was there before he went to Downing, Downey and then came back at the later years of his life. Okay, that is a great story. We just had Jeff on the podcast a couple of podcasts back. We're so, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still getting over it. Still yeah, but you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your roles. You know, a lot of our listeners, um, some may not be as familiar with Lipscomb University as others because its its primary relationship has been with Churches of Christ. Tell us a little bit about uh, the school and tell us about your, your roles there. And uh, Randy, as president, maybe what? Uh, you, you just feel have been some great opportunities to accomplish some things you've wanted to accomplish. And then maybe a little bit about what's up ahead. Okay, let me uh, take a stab at that. And thank you for asking. Uh, Lipscomb is 130 years old. And frankly, uh, I didn't know much more about it than some of your listeners might, especially on the West Coast. Uh, but 130 years ago, David Lipscomb and John Harding uh, established this school James Hardy, I'm sorry. And uh, they, they did so really with um, a, a simple purpose, and that was to create an institution that would allow students to uh, learn to be competent in their field and to take a sense of Christian character in their lives. And really, it's no different 130 years later. All of the school now, uh, as I said, has almost 6,000 students. We have 1,000 faculty and staff. Uh, we have a number of campus locations in Tennessee and also overseas. Uh, we have over 100 majors. We've just completed a $250 million campaign. And the list of those kinds of things, you know, one can go on and on with. But the profound thing we do is to try to provide an environment where students can uh, build that Christian character. And we do it all through a lens that says we want to be Christian intentionally 
We want to be Christian courageously, and we want to be Christian graciously. And I think on uh, maybe another podcast, we'll talk a little bit about conflict, but uh, we've not always been the most gracious of people in these fellowships, and uh, yet that's something that we think we're called to be. About 25% of our students are from Churches of Christ, another probably 10 or 15% are from uh, independent Christian churches, and um, 85% or so come to this university because of uh, its Christian environment. Uh, we play Division I sports. We're very involved in the community of Nashville. And uh, we uh, are just pleased with the opportunities God's given us to uh, really thrive during the last 15 years. Can you touch on just briefly this, this new opening in Austin, Texas? Well, uh, you know, church-related schools uh, have some challenges, not only in Churches of Christ, but in, in other denominational or faith-based schools. Uh, we were invited by uh, the Austin Graduate School of Theology several months ago to consider acquiring them. Uh, there are probably 40 or 50 independent seminaries that have looked for some kind of different affiliation because they simply couldn't exist independently. And so we were pleased to uh, step in and to acquire that school and yet to continue its mission in Central Texas. And so we uh, will offer, starting this fall, a suite of graduate programs that will uh, I hope uh, the community will see as uh, very Christ-centered, but also maybe a little unique in that marketplace. And if we have six or eight, ten graduate programs there, then we can continue the service of that school uh, long into the future. So it's one of the uh, exciting opportunities we have, and we're trying to do it well. Well, before Rhonda tells us just a little bit about her role as well, um, you're transitioning into the role of chancellor. What goes with the responsibilities of a uh, chancellor at a place like Lipscomb? And are you going to be able to relax and enjoy those grandkids a little bit in that new role? Well, I'm doing my best not to define that role. <laughs> I think ambiguity <laughs> is a great thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, the reality is I've been president 16 years and uh, the average college president today serves six years. Wow. Mm. So uh, we've done a decade more than the average would be and uh, had a great time. And it's been a great run. Uh, I work very closely with our board and we planned for this transition years ago. Uh, and so we uh, will transition to a role that some schools are blessed to have and some don't get to have. But that's a, a former president uh, who will step back from the operational part, but still be influential, we hope, in uh, working with our supporters, advancing the institution uh, with some local and national organizations, being a good member of, in this case, the Nashville community. So uh, we intend to be uh, uh, still a part of uh, the support for the institution, uh, but uh, be able to, you're right, be a little bit more relaxed about it. <laughs> I was commenting to somebody else, you know, if I only work 32 hours a week, that would feel like a vacation. So uh, <laughs> uh, we will step back a little bit. And I do want to be a good granddad. I probably haven't spent the time because of this job uh, doing that like I should and could. And uh, I want those folks to remember me not as a president, but uh, as a great granddad. Mm, I love that. 
Rhonda, tell us a little bit about your role. And, you know, particularly, uh, I, I'm intrigued with your, your work as a fellow with the Institute for Christian Spirituality, but beyond that as well. And before she answers that, let me just say, because she is, uh, she, she's humble as I, I guess we all should be, but uh, this has really been a partnership at Lipscomb. She is a full-time, fully engaged, well, down here they call her the first lady, but uh, she'd be <laughs> probably the first spouse in other parts of the country. Uh, but she's fully engaged. Uh, our home has three or four or five events a week. And uh, uh, this would not have happened, and the success of this institution would not have been achieved uh, without perhaps a little bit different model uh, with a presidential couple. So I just uh, want to say that as you listen to her and the giftedness she brings. Boy, I appreciate that, Randy, because I, you know, I must say when I think of uh, your role there, I think of both of you as I did out here when you were both on the West Coast. I mean, you are truly a team and both leaders. So, boy, it's good to hear you say that. That's how I perceive it. You all are kind. You know, uh, Helen Young, our mentor, my mentor particularly, uh, used to describe her life as holding on to the tail of a comet. And I can now verify, I could never be her equal, but I can sure verify that that's a lot of how it, this should be described. I have been holding on to the tail of a comet for 16 years. Um, it, it really is a, a wonderful place in which to sit. Royce Money told us the night that Randy accepted the position, we were actually in Abilene, Texas, and Royce took me aside and he said, Rhonda, it's going to be like having a front row seat to see what God's going to do and what God is doing with the next generation. And it has been a front row seat to see God at work in so many, many ways, not just with the next generation, but with the generation that has gone on before us and with the current generation of, of leaders. It's, it's just a marvelous place to sit and watch people from a lot of different perspectives. I didn't know if I would be asked to teach when I came to Lipscomb or not. They had never had a woman teaching a mixed-gendered Bible class, and I wasn't prepared to teach anything except Bible. Uh, so I came really prepared to um, do something different than teaching, which is what I was doing when Randy took the job. But I wasn't here very long until the board actually um, voted me in as a faculty member and came out and just, <laughs> the board chairman said, we just made you a faculty member. And the only problem in doing that is that you have to report to your husband. <laughs> we're going to ask you to go home today and tell him to do something and make him do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, again, the teaching has been wonderful. The Institute for Christian Spirituality was a desire of, of mine when we came. Randy Harris, Gary Holloway, and Jackie Halstead and I had been teaching together um, some, course, some seminars in what we called Growing Deeper. We would take a group of about 20 people and work with them for a year. And we'd done that for two or three years before coming. And the four of us had really dreamed about an institute in one of our colleges. Uh, 
and what we could do if we would, we had the backing of a, of one of our schools that could help us both reach out into the church, but reach into the next generation and teach them classical spiritual disciplines and help them begin to grow deeper in their spiritual life. So when we came and I had pillow talk with Randy, uh, we were able to, to make that happen. It has flourished and grown and become just a wonderful gift, I think, that Lipscomb has both to the church and to our student body. Um, and I am very, very happy with the work that Chris is doing there. You know, you guys um, kind of touched on it, but I'm going to ask you to kind of go more in depth. What led you into the Christian education uh, field? And then how do you see Christian universities contributing to the life of the local church? Well, let's do the first uh, question. We were both affected, I think, by a Christian university. And so uh, so many of us uh, come out of that environment blessed by what it did and see a future in trying to continue that and extend it in the lives of, of other young people. Uh, we met at a Christian college. We got married at the Christian college. We uh, journeyed uh, and matured at the Christian college. And those experiences are just things that we would like uh, to share. The reality is uh, that America is a unique country in the world in terms of all the kinds of higher education. Uh, most nations do not have things like technical colleges, as well as community colleges, as well as private universities, as well as state universities. I mean, we have this just wonderful mosaic of higher education, and in it are these colleges that largely come from a, a faith basis related to a church, and they say what we want to do is to do all that everyone else does educationally, but we want to add one thing to it, and it's a very powerful thing, and that is the sense of, of spiritual formation. And so uh, I think when you're affected by that, you want to share that. When you want to share that, this is the place that that can be walked out so profoundly. We worked with two Methodist institutions, um, and, and in doing that, there was less of um, a focus on the spiritual formation. And we truly believe that it is at the Christian college level that true academic freedom exists. And, and that being that we have the freedom in the Christian college to teach to all of what it means to be human, not just part of what it means to be human that we can include that existential uh, spiritual domain as Bloom in his taxonomy describes so well, but it is only at the Christian college that we can develop that domain of humanity. And so Randy and I both are just given to the fact that we want to teach all of what it means to be human, not just a part of it. As, as you two look at the future of Christian education, and here you've both given uh, so much of your life to it. What are some of the, the greatest challenges that Christian universities are facing as we look toward the future? And Megan, we won't forget your other question. 
<laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Let, no, let's no. go back to that first. No, let's. Well, I, jumped the, I jumped the gun. That's all right. Uh, well, uh, I think Megan's other question dealt with the church and the college. Is that right? Yes. And boy, that's an important question. Please give well, some time to that. You know, I, I think if one goes back, there was a, uh, a compact, if you will, or, or some kind of mutual uh, commitment. I think this would be true in uh, the streams of, of our restoration movement in that uh, churches said, we need some place to send our young people where they will be educated, but where they then will come back and be leaders in our churches. And the colleges were set up to be the recipient of those young people to educate them and to send them back. Uh, and, and I think if one goes back in the history, you see uh, some remarkable examples in the history of each of these schools no matter how small the school is or how large it is or where it's located in the country, there's that sincere effort to kind of carry that out. Now, I think over the years, uh, that has not been quite as simple as it appeared. And as generations of parents change, for instance, they may or may not have the same value. Uh, but I think that is still the essence of it. Can we be helpful in strengthening the church by uh, making disciples and strong Christian leaders, and can the, the church do its part to support these institutions, which frankly are very expensive mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, in, in a sense, uh, difficult to uh, sustain. And so as long as we continue in that context together, uh, it, it, it can work out. I think, um, you know, we both have broadened a little bit, and there are a lot of parents that are wonderful Christian parents who uh, may not see the value of Christian education, and so their children go other places. But there are also moments where our Christian universities have said, we are not only here to minister to uh, children in our denominational realm, but we invite others to come join us on this journey. And so we have about 50 or 60 different church backgrounds represented in the student body at Lipscomb, and uh, we are pleased to have them uh, join this journey, knowing what we proclaim and knowing the story that we share. Uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful, at times challenging, uh, but a wonderful experience. Megan, I would answer that question to say that, um, particularly at Lipscomb, our goal is to help students find their place in God's story. And in order to find your place in God's story, you have to have a depth uh, of knowing God's story. And I think the way we most effectively help the church is by producing generation after generation of young men and women that know the story of God and have their place in that story or know their place in that story. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great answer. So as you all look ahead um, and, and as you see changes in our culture, changes in our nation, and uh, what would you say are some of the greatest challenges that future leaders that are, that'll be in your roles in the future that they'll be facing and dealing with when it comes to Christian education? Well, I think they may not be all that different uh, from the challenges you and others will face as ministers in the church uh, in the sense that we will be a smaller part of a larger culture that is far more secular. 
And so uh, that either provides great opportunity for us and a, a chance to shine a light uh, in a brighter way, or it presents real challenges to us in terms of uh, our assumptions about the culture we're in and how we navigate those. In higher education in particular, uh, this is an industry that is uh, very, very challenged today. Uh, it's expensive. Uh, it's under a, a bit of attack from uh, people who uh, wonder about its value. Uh, it is in a marketplace that's extraordinarily competitive. And so, you know, we like a lot of businesses uh, find ourselves having to be very, very creative and frankly, much more nimble than we used to be uh, in order to be successful. The reality is we're offering degrees at Lipscomb uh, that I'd never heard of when I came to be its president 16 years ago. And that's the result of a fast changing world and the need for us uh, to change uh, as well. So uh, a lot going on in churches and in Christian colleges in a nation where one can't make quite the assumptions we could have a generation or two ago. Mm. Hey, Rhonda, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Do you, and, and you know, woman to woman, and we'll just let okay. all the men listen in. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not one of those where I like to, you know, scream and shout, like, quit oppressing me because I'm a woman and you have to, like, I don't, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm going to speak right. to who wants to listen, right? Right. But do you ever experience any challenges as a female professor with the Stone Campbell movement? Um, yes and no, Megan. <laughs> when, when I first came in Tennessee, there were some eyebrows that were raised um, about me teaching mixed-gendered classes. But I just stayed the course, quietly went about teaching, um, and really just didn't make an issue out of it. I just continued to do what the board had asked me to do and kept my mouth shut about it um, in circles that I knew it wasn't going to be accepted. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened over time was word started getting around about what I was teaching. And pretty soon I had elders coming and saying, can I just sit in on your class? And I said, absolutely, come. And I said, the only thing I require is that you must come as a full participant. You may not sit in the back and observe and critique. You must come and engage. And in that engagement with their fellow students, in the classroom, they began to see the power of the spirit and what was working. And it wasn't about me. It was about what was going on in the class. And they left talking about the class and they kind of forgot that I was a woman teaching it. Um, and I just, I really think it is really about walking through the doors that God opens up and staying the course and um, not making an issue, just like you have said of, you know, standing on our pedestal saying, watch me, I'm a woman, as much as just following your calling and using your giftedness. Yeah. Well, Randy and Rhonda, this, this has just been a delightful conversation. Uh, we're going to have to wind this podcast down. It feels like we just got started. 
but we've asked you to come back for our next podcast. And I want to learn a little bit more and let our listeners hear more about um, Rhonda, your view on views on spiritual formation. Okay. I'd like to talk more, Randy, about your work and, and both of your work in conflict resolution and how it applies to unity. We've got so much more to talk about. So, um, thank you for being with us in this podcast. Look forward to being with you in the next. Um, want to say to our listeners, be sure to join us for part two of this. Megan, it's been great to be with you. Do you have anything to say to close us out? Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. And to our listeners, I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.